0: Father, hear our confession today. We need you. Oh, we need you every hour. We need you. We thank you for this time we share together, Lord, where we can sing together and encourage each other for the Bible studies that took place in the hour before, for the koinonia, the sharing of life that takes place all through the week, Lord, for all the good gifts you've given to us, Lord, for the The joy of getting to do what we love, to love you out loud with brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing like we mean it, to pray like our lives depended upon it because they do, to be with you, with each other reminds us, Lord, this is the abundant life that Christ came to give. And Lord, we recognize we live in a world, as we sometimes sing, that is is broken And we wish that we could see it all made new. And I thank you, God, that through your church, you are making the world new. You are making lives new, one at a time, just like you made our lives new. And Father, for those within the sound of my voice who are just hurting today, I pray, comfort, comfort your people by the comforter, by the Holy Spirit, God. Draw them close to you. Fill them with your grace and with your peace. And Lord, help us to rejoice with those who rejoice today. Thank you, God, for the privilege of loving you and worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please be seated. When I left last week, we said that all of life was worship. And just to make that reality, we had a a worship service together on, we had a prayer meeting first, then a worship service, the table Brand new, once a month, uh, what, a, what a great gathering that was. A number of you were there. It's uh, worship for our young adults and uh, so grateful for Sean Boyd and his vision in leading that. It was a, a great time of worship. And we worshiped yesterday afternoon when we had a wedding here. Uh, it was exciting to be a part of, of a wedding uh, for Mark and Janine and just to share, as Pastor Larry said, in the joy, that's, that's Janine's first name. We didn't know that, but Joy Janine, and uh, there was great, great joy in that place. And just this week, just to show you kind of how, how life happens in a body of Christ, um, many of us are weeping today, and we weep with those who weep, and many of us are rejoicing today. I heard that it's Noah's first first Sunday he's a new kid on the pew he didn't get to come or last week we didn't get to recognize Noah Noah's new kid on the pew and uh, I heard uh, that Joe and Norma Mosley did I read this week 69 years of marriage that's who uh, take off your shoes holy ground kind of stuff and uh, we were rejoicing with uh, with Madison and Reese who a year ago got married so just just life happening among us and In all of it, we live with an attentive presence toward God and we worship him for all that he is worth. We love him. We give our lives as living sacrifices. We reenact what Jesus did. So he died for us so that we can live sacrificially for him. And as somebody has said, we are better together. I would go beyond that and say we are best when we're together praying together and singing together and studying God's word together. And each of us has a part to play. Remember I said last week, maybe the great thing that happened on the cross and in the resurrection was not just that you and I get a ticket to heaven when we die, but that God created a new family and that we are a part of that family. Each of us has a part to play as we continue to study in Romans chapter 12 who said you should preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other? And, and uh, in the newspaper this week I saw, actually I was watching on, on TV as well, about Justin Reed who is the emergency kicker for the Houston Texans. Now I think we can agree that uh, things for the Texans are a bit of an emergency and they need, they need help, but… To have an emergency kicker is a good thing because our kicker, Kaimi Fairbarn, was out last week. So I turn on, I don't really pay much attention to the Texans to be honest, but last Saturday night I turn it on and realize that the guy who's kicking the ball is our star safety, uh, Justin Reed. And it turns out he was a soccer player when he was growing up and he always wanted to be a kicker. And even... At at Stanford University, he was the emergency kicker but they never had an emergency so he never got to kick. But wouldn't you know it, last Saturday night his coach said, it's an emergency, you get to kick. And so he kicks off and on the second time he kicked he actually made the tackle on the person who caught the ball, which is pretty awesome. And I was just thinking about how each of us has gifts and maybe we don't know what they are and maybe other people don't know what they are but here's what I know for sure. No church that I know about can afford to have its members not using their gifts. To quote Peter, uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and we have what we need if we will use what we need for the glory of God, which made me wonder, what is our place in the body of Christ? Have we found that? And are we actively using our spiritual gifts For the glory of god serving together would you open your bibles with me romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8 romans 12 verses 3 through 8 remember we started last week really with romans 11 33 to 36 that sort of doxology and and really our lives are a doxology Uh, uh, praise god from whom all blessings flow and then in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 he really talked about, defined worship for us as offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He continues with that thought about the way we think in Romans 12, verse three. Would you stand with me in reverence for our God who speaks through his word? We have reverence for God. He is worthy of reverence We, though many, form one body and each member, I love this word, belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently if it is to show mercy do it cheerfully literally hilariously this is the word of the lord please be seated so paul is teaching us about all of life as worship and when we worship together we find strength to serve god together You've heard, I'm sure, from Ephesians chapter two that we are saved by grace through faith. So it's God's grace that saves us as we trust in him. I couldn't help but notice as I was studying this passage this week that we're not only saved by grace through faith, but we also serve by grace through faith. Watch Paul in verse three. He says, by the grace given to me. And then in verse six, he says, by the grace given to you and when he talks about his faith and then he talks about how we use our gifts. Literally, uh, the word is analogion, gives us our word analog in proportion to, by analogy to, the faith that God has given us, we use the gifts. And what he shows us is that in the first century church, there were people who were just wired to preach and there were people who were wired to serve and there were people who were wired to give. And what Paul says is, you've got to find out how God has wired you, and then whatever it is, once you discover the way God has created you, then do that for all. Your worth, for for all your worth, give to God everything that you have and use that gift for the glory of God consistently in Ephesians 4, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14. And here, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts consistently, he says, God is the source of the gift and he gives the gift by grace. And then by faith, we use those gifts to give. Greater glory to God. I suppose that if we thought together this morning, we could think of musicians, we could think of athletes, we could uh, think of business people who are just outstanding in what they do. And the question would be uh, Does talent come from God? In other words, is a person born talented? Isaac Stern, the famous violinist, was asked uh, Is talent Born? Are you just born? Is it just inevitable that, you know, Isaac Stern would become a great violinist? Because he was just born to do that. And Isaac Stern's answer was interesting. He said, Yes, talent is born, but musicians are made. And it's only through discipline that we are able to develop the talents that we have and use them. This is true in life, I am sure. They talk about if you do something, what is it, for 10,000 hours, you'll be good at it? I suppose if you did anything for 10,000 hours, you might be good at that. I'm sitting here thinking of things that if I did them for the rest of my life, I would, you know, I have brothers, uh, I have a brother who's an artist, I have a son who's an artist, I have a mom who's an artist, I had a father-in-law who was an artist, I think if I did 10,000 hours of artwork, I still would not. Like, it just like totally skipped me. Now, you do have to be given the gift, but then what you do with that gift, well, that's your gift back to God, You're using whatever gifts he's given to you. And the Apostle Paul is writing about this and he's writing to a church. And as we're gonna see as we study not only chapter 12, but 13 and 14 and 15, that in the church at Rome, just like the church at Philippi, there are these sort of uh, stress fractures or fault lines that run through the church. And it turns out not just in the first century, but also in the 21st century, there are fault lines that run certainly through our culture, and it's been kind of seismic lately, I think, but there are also fault lines that run through the body of Christ. And what Paul shows us is that in the body of Christ, when we worship together, we learn so that we can serve together. So worship is we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then as the church, we love our neighbors, all of our neighbors We love each other, we even love our enemies. We love in Jesus' name. So this series is a declaration of interdependence and it just reminds us that in humility as we celebrate our unity and diversity, we serve Christ together, our unity in our diversity. And so, We start with just this sort of rubric I read, I think it was in Barclay's commentary, he titled this section, each for all and all for each. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Rome before Dumas ever wrote the three musketeers, uh, all for one and one for all. The body of Christ is about serving each other and serving together. And the first thing Paul says to us in verses two and three is that it starts with humility. We serve together in humility by considering each other first. Now, Paul's been talking about our minds. Remember I said last week, renewing our minds, not just new in time, but new of a different kind. God's transforming us like a caterpillar to a butterfly. He's changing us. Maybe the greatest example in the whole New Testament is the Apostle Paul, right? So when he says in verse three, for by the grace given me, I think Paul must have had in mind that moment when he first realized God's grace. What was that like? Well, here here was the grace that came to him. He was on a dusty road with a group of others headed to Damascus to arrest, to persecute, even to kill the Christians who were there in Damascus. And along the way, we might, if you remember the story, remember God got his undivided attention with a bright light, with a voice with a man named Ananias who came and restored his sight, with a brother named Barnabas who welcomed him into the body of Christ. And Paul could look back on all that and if he had to describe it with a single word, Paul would say, here's my story, grace. I was saved by grace through faith. And by that grace, he says, God has made me a leader. He's called me to be an apostle, though I was born as one out of time. God still made me an apostle. And now, by grace, I am speaking to you, and I want you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, he says. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, One thing about grace is it changes our minds. And what what exactly does it do to our minds? Well, it makes us more humble. So we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we think of ourselves with sober judgment. This morning I went for my my morning uh, walk in Hershey Park, which I do on Sunday mornings, Chase locked me out. Like, he locks every door in the house. And I'm like, well, why am I locked out? And he goes, I didn't know you walked on Sunday mornings. I said, you don't know me very well because I always walk on Sunday mornings. I was blaming the dogs for locking me out, but I don't think it was their fault. And, and so anyway, I'm walking through the park this morning and I'm on the upper trail, the dirt trail, if you know what I'm talking about. And then down by the, by the bayou, by Buffalo Bayou, there's a paved trail. So I'm walking on the upper trail and somebody disrupts my solitude. Because there's a guy walking along with his phone singing at the top of his voice, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, first thought, just to be honest, excuse me, I'm trying to be quiet, and you're being loud. But then I recognized the song he was singing. This was amazing. So he's got his phone, and he's singing at the top of his lungs. Do you know this song? Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony in my ears. It's like holy water on my skin. And then the chorus, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And this guy is just like, wah, singing it at the top of his lungs. I've never seen him before in my life. But the great thing about the two trails, the dirt trail and the paved trail, you know what I'm talking about? When you get to Willcrest, They converge. And he and I, we were just like, we were on just destined. And when I saw him, I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, me too. (laughs) I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. That was his story. I know why he was singing, because that's my story. And I just wanted to ask you this morning, isn't that your story? It's the only, why do we change? Why did Paul change grace? Paul didn't gin up Christianity within himself somehow and get himself going as a follower of Jesus. No, he got sideswiped. He got blindsided. He was ambushed and bushwhacked by grace. And the net result was he used to persecute Christians and now he proclaimed Christ. And that same power is fully operative in our lives so we used to be whatever we used to be and we may not yet be what we ought to be but thank god we're not who we used to be and why one word grace by the grace he says i've got grace verse three verse six he says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us so don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to live with a genuine sense of humility i think humility will either eradicate our hubris or hubris will seriously interfere with our humility and i had this thought this week it may be for you it may not be if not just discard it but if this generation of christians somehow manages to turn hubris into a virtue and somehow it becomes the end thing to think of ourselves as better than others and to call other people names on social media. We will be the first generation in 2,000 years of the church that thought that, that, thought that was okay. We'll be the first. It's not in our heritage to exalt hubris. Humble yourself. <laughs> I wish you could have heard Barbara playing on the piano in the first service this morning and she plays this tiny little note, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. That's that's our anthem. Not we're in control. No, we're under His control. Great big God and servants who do what He asks us to do. And Paul, you know, he'll even explain this because he he says, "I'm, "I'm." studying Philippians. I know y'all are studying it in Sunday school. David and Zant and I are memorizing it this year. We, We made it through chapter three yesterday. And there's a place in chapter three where he's just very honest and he says, so I used to think um, that if I worked really hard, I could gain God's grace. After all, I was, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, I mean, of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I had all these credentials, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What, what is more, I consider everything a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Paul says, I'm not basing it on my own credentials anymore. He used to be about hubris. Now he's about humility. And in fact, Larry pointed out to us in his study yesterday from the, actually it's in the Bible project, which Larry used. In that Bible project, They do sort of an overview of Philippians and they say the whole book of Philippians revolves around that poem in chapter two. You remember remember the, the poem in Philippians two, three, and four, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, each of you looking not only to your own interests but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, he says in verses five and following, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. We are reenacting the life of Christ every day. We humble ourselves Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. In due time, when he's ready, he will lift you up. And the point, I think my friend Mike Glenn who's a pastor up in Nashville makes this point very well. He says the world will discover the church again when the church discovers Jesus again. And all I would say about that is we'll know we've discovered Jesus again when we live with the same kind of humility that he lived with. And Jesus was humble and he calls us to be humble. The second thought I found in this passage Is that not only do we we consider each other first in humility, but we serve together by committing ourselves to unity. And now watch Paul, he uses the analogy of the human body. And he does this again, really sort of expands it, extends it in 1 Corinthians 10 through or 12 through 14. But here he just it's just sort of in, in truncated form. But but what he says about it is, you know, every part of the body is important. The parts are different. I mean, remember in 1 Corinthians, he says, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. No, the whole body, though the body has divergent different parts, every part has a purpose, and even the ones that seem to be least important may in fact be indispensable. This became real to me this week. I was, I'm, I was, I was cooking, it's hard to say, that. I was cooking supper for Melanie and Chase this week, uh, Brooke and, and Nori have moved off to Little Rock. Chase is going to join them next week, and uh, we're grieving. Both of our granddaughters have moved away. But anyway, I was cooking supper. Uh, Melanie was still working upstairs, and I was cooking supper. And I remember, you ever do this? I'm like sitting there, and I'm cutting up vegetables, and I'm thinking, I'm going to cut my finger. I'm going to cut my finger. And it's kind of an obsessive thought. And then sure enough, um, the onion turned... The knife went down and suddenly I thought I had cut off one of my fingers. I mean, there was, I don't want to be graphic, but it was not a pretty picture. Uh, Melanie came running and said she was afraid I was going to hit my head on the ceiling because I was jumping so high. Now, one way to look at that is if I had lost a finger, it's like, well, you know, but you've got a lot of other fingers. I mean, that's another, but to me, that finger its the one that holds my, my, my wedding ring. It's a very important finger. And I didn't want to lose that finger. And I mean, just the pain of that was just a reminder to me, every part of the body matters. Right then, that, that finger was screaming, why did you cut me? And I was like, I'm so, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to. Well, what he says is the body has all these parts and all the parts are important. And in Christ, we're one body. Now, he amplifies this more in other Other of his letters where he says, and Christ is the head of the body, like Colossians Christ is the head of the body, and we're the church. We are his body. But the important part is we're all connected to him. That's worship. And we're all connected to each other. That's koinonia, fellowship. And we commit ourselves to unity. I read Saddleback Valley out out in California. Rick Warren has been the pastor there for many years. They have a church covenant when you join the church. Not unlike our Discover membership class, I think. But one of the commitments they make on the form is we commit to the unity of this church. Here are the questions they ask them. Will you promise to live in unity even with those who have different points of view than you? As if our disagreements in life are bigger than Jesus. Like, how is that possible? Uh, Will you promise to pray for them and encourage them? And I wonder... What if we all committed ourselves and said, you know, so in this body of Christ, see, I probably know more of you than you know of you. And what I know is you have different points of view on different things, because I hear from you periodically about different things. And what I would say about that is, somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has transformed us into kind of people who can disagree. I know in this room there are Rangers fans, and I'm not mad at you about that, right? You like the Texas Rangers. I'm okay with that, really. Really? And I'm an Astros fan. I think that's, that's, that's manifest. Or, you know, football's back in. You could make your examples from that. Listen to what Jesus said in the Summer on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they'll be called the sons and daughters of God. Another way to say that is sons and daughters of God. One of the things we do is we make, we make peace. So God gives us these different gifts, and we use them together to edify, to build up, as he says in Ephesians 4, the body of Christ. We're, we're trying to build the church with the gifts he's given us. And so we're, we're gifted by grace and we use these gifts full of faith. And part of that is in faith, we choose to commit ourselves to unity. I was praying with some of our deacons out here before the first service. I used to do that in my first little country church and I would always walk by the sanctuary and it was empty. And then I would go meet with my deacons and pray and while we were praying, I'm not making this up, uh, doors, we would hear car doors closing while we were praying. And then we would walk out into the worship center and it would be full of people. And in my mind, those things were connected. We were praying people would come and people came. So I'm praying with some of our, our guys uh, this morning and I'm out here in this little, I'm pointing this way, but in that little stairwell area there and we, we meet there and I'm praying with these guys and one of them says to the other one, he starts to say, I love you. And the other guy says, I love you and there's not a thing you can do about it. And the other guys start laughing and I said, do you guys know the story behind that? Because the story behind that is, I used to pastor a little church in Axtell, Texas. It was a 1A school district. And I'm not kidding you, in a 1A school district, there were seven churches. And the people who went to those churches wouldn't go to church with each other because they had split off of the same church, And, you know, time had passed, and we were new pastors, and we didn't have a dog in the old fight, but our members were like, well, you know about that church, well, you know about that church, and I would, I'll never be caught dead walking in that church, and we'll never, you know, and so we said, what if we had a community revival? Fuzzy Pekachik was the Catholic deacon, and then there were six others of us, and we said, let's have a community revival, and somebody said, well, whose church will we have it in? And we realized we couldn't choose one of our churches because some of the people wouldn't go in if it was in that church. So, we literally took an offering and rented a tent. And we put it in Axtell, Texas, in like a big empty lot. And we had a revival. And I'm telling you, we didn't just have meetings, but we had an actual Holy Spirit come down, change hearts kind. Of revival. It was one of the funnest things I've ever done in my life. I mean, it was an amazing time and each of us preached one night and our members came and they found out that in the body of Christ we could have some kind of unity. But does it really change a community when a group of people who used to be mad at each other are now praying together and singing together and hearing the word of God? What difference does it really make? Well, well, like months later, I'm gassing up my car in Belle Texas, and one of the deacons of one of the other churches pulls up, and he's gassing up his car, and I'm gassing up my car, and as I'm about to get in my car, he walks by me, and he says, so, I love you, and there's not a thing you can do about it, and I've carried that with me all these years, and when I came here 23 years ago, I said that to the church, and Cloyce Smith picked it up, and then he started telling people, and if you, you know, there's like three ways to communicate, like telegraph, telephone, tell Cloyce, and Cloyce, Like, he has made that famous. In a way, it started with one guy who was like, that tent meeting meant something. We couldn't agree on what day of the week it was in Axtell, Texas, when those pastors moved there. But after that, there was the beginning of healing of relationships between churches. And I would just say in the body of Christ, you know, we always want resolution when there are conflicts and challenges. What we really need is reconciliation. And the good news is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And once he reconciles us to himself, then we automatically are connected like my finger is connected to my hand, to my arm, to my shoulder, to my chest. We're connected in Christ, and when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong conflict in the culture, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of the follower of Jesus Christ. So they'll know we're Christians because we prove to them that they're wrong. Now that's not in the Bible. They'll know we're Christians by our love. I have a friend that I'm trying to lead to Jesus right now, and There's a lot of anger there and a lot of hostility. And he said, I want to meet some real Christians. So I introduced him to some real Christians. And now he kind of, you know, he's kind of bewildered a little bit because he didn't really know what Christians were about. And we didn't really fit his stereotype of what Christians were. And the thing I love about the Christians that I introduced him to is that their love will not let him go. And he, sometimes he's kicking and screaming going, let me go, let me go, let me go. But they love him. And he didn't know what to do with that. But my hope is you pray with me that he will eventually associate that with Jesus and that Jesus has made us different, that he has transformed us because he has this crazy image that Christians are all angry. But that's not true, is it? That's not our identity. Our identity, our community is built around the fact that we're the people, look, God loves everyone, but we're the ones who like, know that he loves us and have received that love. And when we show that love to the world, then they gotta figure out what to do with it. Our connection is in in Christ. He's the head of the body, so it's humility, it's unity. You've heard this before, but A.W. Tozer said, if you brought in 100 pianos up here on the stage and tried to tune them to each other, you would have chaos. But if you take those same 100 pianos and bring in a tuning fork and tune every piano to the same tuning fork, they will all be in tune with each other. And when we're in tune with Christ, we're in tune with each other. It's in that passage, I I noted it. We belong to each other. So we don't just go to church. We belong to the church. You gotta belong to a church. I was driving by one of our sister churches. I drive by it every day. And as I was driving by it, uh, it says, welcome home. Uh, It says, we're better together. I like that. I don't know who their marketing person is, but I mean, and then they say, You belong here. And I have some friends who go to that church. I'm like, I'm so glad they, yes, they belong there. And we belong here. And I'm grateful that we don't just go here. We belong to each other. We belong. Same way my finger belongs to my hand and my hand to my finger, we belong to each other because we all belong to Christ. So it's humility, it's unity in the midst of, as a celebration of, not in spite of, but in celebration of our diversity. So it turns out we have more In common, even though we're different, we have more in common in Christ than our differences. And so Paul will just, he says, some of you are preachers. That's what the word prophesy means. I think somewhere along the way we thought it meant predict the future, but that's not, not even in the Bible. Prophecy doesn't mean that. Prophecy means the prophets were the ones who said, thus says the Lord. They listened to God and spoke a message to people. I think the equivalent in the New Testament church is preaching, and Paul says, if you're gonna preach, preach with fullness of faith, If you're gonna teach, teach. And he goes down this list. And it's not an exhaustive list because it's not even the same list that's in Ephesians or in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But it's an important list because what he says about it is, essentially, do it in proportion to your faith. Do it in proportion to the faith, which God has given us. He's given us the faith. That's the way Paul most often uses it the faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. But also in terms of your trust in Him. So do it for, for all that you have. If you're a teacher, teach. I was thinking about David Vinzant, one of my running partners, one of our deacons, who's teaching a new class next week. It's kind of a doctrines study, a kind of history of the church study, and he's going to do it at 10 o'clock, and it's just for 11 weeks. But. He took those courses in seminary a lot more recently than our staff has, for instance. And so he has a lot to teach in that regard. He's a teacher and he's gonna teach and he's fulfilling this passage. I have a friend who's part of our Fredericksburg congregation. They watch us online out in Fredericksburg. And I remember that he said to me at one point, before I became a Christian, I never wanted to give anybody anything. But after I became a Christian, he said, Pastor, it's the weirdest thing. I can't seem to give enough. I always want to give and he has literally lived his life since he became a Christian. God has blessed him and he he loves to give to other people. Paul says do it cheerfully, do it hilariously, not grudgingly. Whatever your gift is because when the church celebrates our diversity, commits to unity and considers each other in humility, what happens is we actually become the church on mission in our community, and it will make a difference in the community. So we've, a lot of us have been burdened for Louisiana, and I, I just realized at one point this week, I read an article, and, and here were the Texas Baptist men heading out in their trucks to go to South Louisiana, and there they can feed 30,000 meals a day. Well, who's paying for that? Well, in a way, we are, because when we give, we're giving to the cooperative program, and then that money enables them to do that ministry. Maybe a more relevant example for us is Sony Lewis, who's normally in this service, but he's from Haiti, and when Haiti had its two most recent tragedies, and there it's been, as you know, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. He said, I'm going down there. And he checked in with me and I connected him with Jeremy and, and Jeremy and and Chen Chang, who's the head of our missions committee, they said, well, let's help him go down there. And so they gave him some money. And I said, what, what are you gonna do when you get to Haiti? And he said, well, I know how to get to the main, to Port-au-Prince, but he said, to get to the place I need to go, he said, I'm gonna have to convince somebody to take me there. In my mind, I'm thinking, that costs money. <laughs> to convince somebody to do anything that they don't want, probably money. And so we, 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 sit, we give him money. So yesterday, I get a phone, this is the first time in my life I ever got a phone call from Haiti. And it, my phone actually said from Haiti and it had like the, the international area code like 503 or something and Haiti. And I was like, that's got to be Sony. And so I pick up the phone and he says, I'm sending you some pictures. And he sent some before pictures of some, you know, they had an earthquake there. I think we may have these pictures. And this is what happened to some of the homes, right? So here's an example. I think maybe we have another example of a broken home. I mean, just, it just if you've ever been through an earthquake, it's... I'm not trying to be funny. It's unsettling. <laughs> I mean, it just disrupts and destroys. It's one of the strangest natural disasters of all. We've got natural disasters all over our country right now in different ways with weather. Who knew they could have tornadoes in New Jersey, right? I mean, so there are all these burdens and things. So we send Sony down there, and I'm thinking, so what's Sony gonna do while he's down there? His sister's got an orphanage. He wants to make sure the children are okay, and we've helped him and helped them with that orphanage. But um, he's, the next picture is he sends... He sends me all these pictures of tents and I said how did you find tents in Haiti he said I took them with me 13 tents he said this one will be enough for one family of 10 until they can get their house back together this is going to keep them out of the elements and I'm like okay you got you got, how did you, by himself, how did you take third? he said, I know, the airline didn't want me to take anything that weighed more than 90 pounds. They normally won't let you do that, but because of the situation, they allowed me to. Said, they, they allowed you to do it 13 times? 13 tents down there helping people. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. When we, in humility, commit ourselves to unity and in diversity begin to use the gifts God's given us and if you know Sony he loves to help people he actually loves to help people come to know Jesus and this is just a way for him and he knows the area and I mean there are all these agencies trying to figure out what to do in Haiti but Sony's like a human agency like you send Sony Sony works at Walmart. He cleans out all their tents, takes them with him. And here's the thing: Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, in the last 15 years, I'll run into new people in our church and I'll say to them, you know, I'll introduce myself, they introduce themselves and say, How did you find Tallawood? Oh, Sony told us to come here. And I just said to one that there were two ladies from Iraq down there in the hallway one day. They were from Iraq. And I said, So, how do you know Sony? And the one lady started laughing, and she said, how do we know Sony? Everybody knows Sony. And Sony works at Walmart for Jesus. He does, he goes to work as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice, and God has given him this humility of mind, and then he he thinks when he's leaving town to go to Haiti, I probably better take some tents with me. And I just want you to know, you bought some tents from Walmart not just for people to go camping, but to literally sustain life. And this is what it means to serve together. It's why Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, amen. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you've not. If I had never joined a church until I found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, If I'd found one, I I would have spoiled it for it wouldn't have been a perfect church after I joined it. Still, imperfect as it is, here's what the church is. The dearest place on earth. Humility, unity, diversity, serving together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for putting your people in a body and calling us the church. You say on my On this rock, I will build my church. Thank you that for 2,000 years, you've been building your church. Thanks for building one right here in Houston for us to be a part of, Lord. And Lord, if the buildings went away, we would still have the church because the church is us. And I thank you that we get to serve together and worship together. And I pray, Father, that you will give us grace today just to be the church. It's not complicated, God. Help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind and strength and help us, yes, Lord, to love each other and then for that love to become so contagious that it, it uh, flows out the windows and the walls and the doors into a community that needs to know they are loved. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.